Today's episode is brought to you by Five Line Designs. Bring your brand to light with Five Line at fivelinedesigns.com. Here at Five Line, we like to ask, what can we do for you? We're here to help you and your business grow from all angles. Whether it's building the voice of your brand, redesigning your assets, or building out a website, Five Line is here to help you step your game up and beat out the competition. No matter what stage you're in, whether you're just starting or you've been up and running for many years, make your next move your best move by working with Five Line. You won't regret it. Schedule a meeting to see what we can do for you today at fivelinedesigns.com. Welcome to the Business Grind, where we give you an inside perspective on what it takes to start, build, and run a successful business. Here are your hosts, Danny Shaw and Sean Michael Wellington. All right. Hello to everyone in podcast land today. Thanks for joining us. Sean, how are you feeling? Feeling good this weekend. Ready to get built to sell. All right, indeed. So... Today's episode, we're going to review the book Built to Sell by John Warrillow. We're going to discuss a few concepts and takeaways that we got from it and how they can be applied to your business journey and just our overall thoughts and reactions for it. All right, so let's get into it. Sean, yay or nay? Out the gate. <laughs> Out the gate, yay, man. This is like one of the best, at least for me personally, and I think any other creator. This is one of the best business books I've read. Mm. I was pleasantly surprised because they tell the story and, and give you the lessons through these fictional characters who are living out the actual process of taking uh, a business and making it built to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved it. Right, right. I'm going to give it a yay, but I, I definitely had my eyebrow raised moments, right? <laughs> so uh, Go ahead. Let I'm, me know. No, no, no. It was... It was, it was like you said, it was told through this, through a story, right? So, um, when I first started reading it, I got I got rich dad poor dad vibes by reading it initially. Mm-hmm. Now, to the audience, I don't I don't know. Uh, have you read that book, Sean? Yet? Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, so, it's one of my to, to, to the audience, you know, rich dad poor dad. If you haven't read it, it tells the story of how a guy learns about business and how to be a millionaire and things like that by you know. The father of the the story of the rich dad and his poor dad, and it's it's a whole story throughout the the, the entirety of the book, right? And but throughout the story of the book, you get all these lessons on how to go about starting a business and what you should be thinking about and what you should be prioritizing, right? So early on, reading the book definitely got that kind of a vibe from it, like the rich dad poor dad uh, scenario, which is fine. But then, like you said, it told the story and. It, it, it gave the business lessons in a story format that made it very uh, entertaining. I was entertained in, in a digestible format to pick up a lot of key ideas uh, from it. That's a great word to use, entertain, because, yeah. I mean, we'll get into it as we go along, <laughs> but there were little stories in there oh. where there's, like, storytelling nuances. Like, one <laughs> example, I remember the, um, the fictional character of Alex in the story. Uh-huh. He was getting frustrated with his employees. Like, uh-huh. he had one young employee in there that was asking for a raise, and uh-huh. he's like, yo, this person only has this job because of their, who their cousin is anyway, and now they got the nerve to ask me for a raise. It's just like, I mean, it's not a typical business book in that regard, because I'm just like, yo, I feel your frustration. So, right, right. I don't know. I think the reasons you kind of rolled your eye is kind of what kept me going with this right. book. Right. So. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, definitely the, the entertaining part, and not roll my eyes like, oh my, it was just the eyebrow raise. Like, what is going on? Because, again, I didn't know what to expect when I read this book, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, you know, built to sell. The, the, the concept of the book, uh, for, you know, just to lay that down, lay that, put this out here, the concept of the book is how to build a business that you can sell to someone else at a profit, right? So I'm thinking, all right, it's about to be real, you know, boring or you know, just real by by the books and facts of the matter, and yeah, they just started. Out, yeah, and then they just started out with the story. So, like you said, uh, this early on, I think the first moment that stuck out to me is like, what is going on? Is when they was talking about one of his clients, who's a little older than him and who flirts with him, and he has oh, to. <laughs> I and, forgot about that. And he has to endure the flirting because it's a big account, and I'm like, what type of what is going on here? You know, 
Yo, I forgot about that, but yes, that was definitely yes. Little things like that throughout the book it keeps me engaged, man. I I enjoyed it. That's funny. Right, so I was like, oh, okay. I guess this is the type of book it's gonna be. So again, it was it was definitely the little nuances definitely keeps you engaged. So it's not just a a boring by the book uh, business book, but some of the details I'm like, was that really needed to get the point across? I, I, I laughed, you know, I would laugh at it, but I was like, wow, there's a lot going on here. Right. No, nah, I don't think there was any business value in that particular example <laughs> per se, but it was something that puts you in that person's shoes. You right. Know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and like you said, he gave a lot of details on like why, you know, he, he didn't want to order the wine because he had to get back to the office, but one of his clients, you know, was ordering wine and he didn't want her to be drinking alone and make it awkward. So he's losing time. So it was just a lot of those details that actually are real life scenarios when you're trying to run your business. And right. Right. Like none of these scenarios, that's, I guess that's the other aspect of it. None of the scenarios that was presented seem like crazy. I don't believe this is happening. Tyson. I could, these are all real life scenarios, but it was just funny that it was told in this manner to get the point across. Right. Yeah, totally. So um, I guess let's just name our two main characters. I mean, there's a bunch of characters in this, right, but the right. two ones that are important are Alex and Ted, right? Mm-hmm. Ted is the, um, what would you would you say he is? He's an expert uh, in, in flipping businesses or something like that, uh, yeah, how would you, I guess? Yeah, I would say he serves as the mentor. He serves as the mentor and, he ser- and his expertise, I guess, is just knowing how to build a business and selling it, <clears throat> you know? And that. what I liked about Ted is he would kind of, drop a gem on Alex. Well, Alex is our business owner. He's mm-hmm. the, the protagonist of the story. Mm-hmm. And he'd drop a gem on Alex and then be like, but do whatever you want. Right. <laughs> there was a couple of scenarios <laughs> like that. I was just like, yo. <laughs> so. Yeah, he definitely was like, it was a, you know, very, uh, I'm going to give you a little gems here. You know, I'm going to put this down. Can you pick it up? Right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, if, can you understand what I'm saying or not? And, and take it from there. But, and then if he did, you know, make the wrong decision after getting the advice, uh, or had a different opinion, then you know his mentor would come back and be like, "All right, this is what you also need to consider, right?" Um, and yeah, we- and you make a good point there because there's a couple times where he, and that's what makes this book um, great for me too, is he did make the wrong decision a couple times mm-hmm. in the story. Yeah. So you see, you see the reasoning, you see why he made the wrong decision, and how if you were in his shoes, you would make that same wrong decision mm-hmm. and then he goes back to ted and ted's like yeah i knew that was gonna happen mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i like i like that i don't know he's like yeah i know it you know uh yeah yeah but uh those are the two main characters and then you have these you know secondary characters along the way such as his staff the team that mm-hmm. he has the, the various employees that he has um his various clients uh and then uh the the potential buyers and like his the brokers along the way that he engages with when he wants to actually start selling his business. Right. 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 Uh, one thing that before we get into like the actual steps on what's needed, you know, as they were, the author was setting up the story and setting up the characters. Um, one thing that stuck out to me was, you know, he, he, he put himself in this position, right? even before he got to a place where he wanted to sell, you know, they started giving the backstory on who he hired, what was the reason he hired, he hired these people and, 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 you know, who were his clients and why did he accept them? You know, what I, what I took from it was that he was already putting himself in a bad position to begin with, even if he didn't, even if he didn't want to sell his business, I just thought that was not the way to be, to run your business. And that's interesting because coming from the creative side of things, right? So his business was a, uh, what would we classify it as? He ended up changing his business model to being only a logo creation. He created right. logos for companies. But what, what would we classify his original business Initi- as? Like initially, a, the business was like a design advertising agency, marketing agency. For, yes, yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like a translation or something like that. Yeah. So it's an ad agency. Mm-hmm. And, and he was a full service ad agency, but with a small team. So it's really him doing a lot of the work on his own and leading his team through this work, right? Mm-hmm. He's the, 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 the figurehead of the business mm-hmm. sell out there, selling out there. 
even in the field, like overseeing his his, his uh, employees and micromanaging them, looking mm-hmm. over their shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's not necessarily the best way to own and operate a business. Yeah. But me as a creative, right, I can totally understand that because a lot of us who's in the creative field, especially in video like I am, you do got to kind of do that. And I, I still do that to this day. I'm overseeing edits and editing things myself. So mm-hmm. I see, I felt him in a lot of right, scenarios, right. you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's, uh, there's definitely no disagreement there. I, I definitely can see how he wound up in that situation, right? But just him telling, the, the telling of that story, it was like, wow, well, he wasn't putting himself in the best position to begin with. But I think that also speaks to a lot of business owners where, when they start a business, they're not even really, they don't have an exit plan or exit strategy, right? They're just saying, I want to go into business. I want to do this. It may be, it's a variety of reasons on why they decided to do it. You know, as you, as some of our other guests have spoken about, you know, some just had a creative bug in them. They wanted to, you know, uh, express themselves. Other people would say, hey, I'm not really a corporate person. I wanted to do this instead. So you have various reasons why people go into business and a lot of times the the the, the vision doesn't go to the point of how do I get out? It's all intertwined to their existence, right? Right, right. right. The business begins and ends with you. And that's right. kind of what the whole thesis of the book is. is mm-hmm. create a business that doesn't need you. Right, right. Um, so yeah, so that 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 was the main point. Now here's the thing. This is what I also feel like. It's okay if your business is intertwined with you, you know, to an extent. And as a creative, I think there is always if your business is creative based, there's always going to be that connection where you want to have. You still want to be involved in a lot of stuff. You don't necessarily want to have everything automated, right? No, definitely. You want to have it to have that life that you breathe into it, sure. Yeah, you know, I definitely think you want to get to a point where it's like, okay, you want things to run smoothly, but, you know, there, there, there is always going to be that tension and that balance. I've seen it with so many creatives who have their own agencies, and like you said, as we're speaking as, you know, with creative backgrounds, we can kind of relate um, to that, but you don't want to be so into time where you are the bottleneck, where you can't even trust your sales reps because you can't close a deal unless you're in the meeting, right? And the design can't get approved unless you're in that meeting and communicating it to the client and so forth, right? Yeah, um, and that's a great way to put it. Don't be the bottleneck. And, I, and I've and i worked for companies where one person is the bottleneck, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I, yeah, I can see it. Right, and that happens, that happens in a company. Or, I mean, that happens in a company that people don't own, you know, like just from a management and an employee perspective. But especially as a business owner, you know, you can you can be stopping, you can be stopping, you can be <laughs> the blocker to your business growing even more because you haven't set up these systems and process in place to get out of the way, right? Right, absolutely. All right, All right indeed. All right, so let's uh, get into, I guess, uh, some of the concepts on how to kind of start stepping away from the business and position in the business in order to be so or, or one of the lessons that you picked up from it yeah i mean he kind of broke it down into like three main things your business needs to be to be sellable and then as he goes through the book um he goes he breaks it down into you know micro details but um on a macro level it's your business needs to be teachable mm-hmm. so that means you know the, the employees involved whoever the salespeople. it's just it just needs to be something that not only you can do and you're the only person that can do it it needs to be teachable to other people mm-hmm. um and i think the example from the book he had a five-step process for his uh logo creation it was mm-hmm. like and i don't remember all the steps verbatim but i know mm-hmm. it was like a, a sketch or a hammering sketch mm-hmm. then you got a black and white version and you don't give them color till it's too soon so that mm-hmm. because he it's experienced that when people see logos in color, they're more focused on that instead of the actual design. <laughs> right. um, one of the other steps I think was asking them, "What would you, if your logo was an actor or if your logo was a celebrity, who would mm-hmm. it be?" Kind of thing, or if your company was a celebrity, who would it be? So mm-hmm. he had this really five-step process um, into how to get the logo and understand that the the customer tell you what he wants out of a logo. So right. that's the teachable part of it, I believe. Right, right, right. Um, no, definitely. Uh, so for me, I thought it was very interesting in the steps that needed to be taken in order to even make the business sellable because at first 
you know, he was just frustrated and said, I want to get out or, you know, he had his reasons. And then as he went to his mentor, his mentor was like, your business ain't worth it. <laughs> it ain't worth anything, you know, uh, basically, <laughs> right. nobody will buy this business from you. And he couldn't, um, I'm sorry, what's, what's, what's the character name again? Um, the one business. Alex. Alex. Alex was so surprised. Like, what? I've been in business for X amount of years. This is how much I make. And how is it not sellable? And, you know, the, the, the main reason was because he was too connected to the business. You, if you're selling your business, you're selling the business. You have to, you're not selling yourself, right? So if your business is so dependent on you and you alone to bring in the sales, to be the face, to do all, to be everything, then you're, the business is not valuable to sell because essentially it can't run without you. Right. right. And then you're kind of um, what you're describing is one of the other. So I said there were three things. Mm-hmm. So teachable was the first thing. And what you're talking about, is repeatable. Right. It needs to be something, a repeatable business, um, mm-hmm. something that, you know, it's not a la carte. It's not every time you get a new, you know, every time you get a new version of this, of whatever I'm selling, it's this is a repeatable business that is almost um, what's the exact word I'm looking for. It, it, it's templated maybe is the yeah, word I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah, automated a bit more. There's a process. There's a process. A process. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and and as we look at some of the more bigger and successful companies of the world, we can always trace it back to a process. Whether we're aware of it or not, there's a process that has allowed that business to be sold multiple times or be brought or, or things like that. Um, what... Uh, like we love to talk about McDonald's, I don't even know why, but let's talk about McDonald's. I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. I thought of the Speedy System this whole time, right. this, reading this book. So right. I mean, yes, yes. McDonald's. Does McDonald's. Come up. McDonald's is a you know anybody can work by work and buy a McDonald's because the system is already in place. It's not one person that this business is dependent on. Where there's a bottleneck in a situation where you're like, I cannot, you know, can't. If this one person gets out, you know it's it's all over, right? Um, right. I'm trying to think offhand where a business might not be in that type of situation. Well, we have Alex as a prime example in the book. Uh, you know, just everything is on him. Now, here's the point. Here's the point I would like to make though. Everybody business doesn't have to be sellable. Right. It, it, it doesn't have to be sellable. You know, some people are comfortable with just having a business and being that focal point and keep things running. And so and till, till they decide to get out the game and everything like that. But if your goal is to get out for various reasons, you know, maybe you've built your business and you just want to cash out and take a little profit or, you know, sometimes people want to sell it, their business to a larger business so they can have the strength. And resources of that larger business. Maybe they have a bigger market reach, a customer base, and resource to further the growth. You know, there there are many uh, reasons why you may want to sell, but you need to understand what you need to do to prepare it for that, right? Yeah, and since you twisted my arm, but not really, I'll <laughs> use the example I was thinking about. I mean, my the former company I used to work for, WWE. Uh-huh. That company is 100% bottleneck through the chairman and CEO, mm. Vince McMahon. Every decision from every department, finance to creative to, to marketing to whatever, mm-hmm. uh, the water the water cups they use, you know, for lunch, mm-hmm. that all goes through him. Wow. And and you know, it it, it, it creates a bottleneck. And he's been in business for, I mean, how many every years? 50 mm. plus years at this point. Mm. But um, when he's no longer the bottleneck, when he's no longer at the head of that company, I don't know how they would function because everything runs through him. Right. Um, just me, from my, from my experience and me seeing personally. So like you said, you can run a successful business that way, but you got to be uh, okay with the fact that you're going to be the person in charge of this business as long as it's, uh, if you want it to continue to be profitable and, um, you know, Right. invaluable so right like some people have that ego and mentality like it has to run through me and if that's your situation great right <laughs> uh then for me personally i like this this book and how he's laid out the steps to make it run without you i i love i would love to have businesses that don't need me that's kind of my i love so much the lessons he taught so yeah all right so let's let's get into another one um okay valuable you've mentioned it a couple times so one of the 
first lessons um, that, you know, it seems so obvious after reading the book, but yeah. at, at reading it, it was a realization is, um, you know, it's got to be valuable. And there were kind of two things that I want you to kind of expand upon, because I know this is like your area of expertise here. One of the things that were helped with the value is to have a positive cash flow cycle. And mm-hmm. that was just like a mind blower to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> let's get, so in the book, especially when it talked about the cash flow cycle, what we realized is Alex, he has all these, uh, invoices that are doing things that you know for services that he's rendered but his whole billing cycle is skewered right so he maybe he it's possible he doesn't get paid for services rendered for it could be 90 up to six months 90 days up to six months later so because mm-hmm. uh his billing cycle is not really in a set up in a way that allows uh, some cash flow to come in while he's doing the work, it puts him behind and it doesn't, the books doesn't look balanced. So he's working at a, in a, in a deficit, right? Um, so what was uh, advised is he needed to change his whole billing structure, right? And, and position his stuff so it's considered a product and not a service because mentally, most consumers, they're used, if you position your whatever your offering is as a service more more than likely uh people would they pay after the service is executed right right service is rendered yeah right service rendered provided the service then you get paid then you get paid but when it's a product they pay for it on the spot right then and there right so it can it can literally be the same thing. You're not really changing what your offering is, but it's how you position it. So by positioning their serv- their uh, offering from a service to an actual product, they was able to change the cash flow cycle and allow more runway and more room to work with. So they weren't you know behind with the cash flow, and the cash flow allows them uh, the opportunity to do more, you know, to be more selective on the type of work and, pr- and projects that they would even take on in the first place. Right. right, absolutely. And mm-hmm. it's great that going back to how they told the story in the book. Mm-hmm. So you get that lesson and you get it in a normal book, you write it down. But then if you get into the practical application of it in your real business, mm-hmm. you might be like, well, that's fine and good. But my biggest client, they pay me how they pay me and I can't afford to, mm-hmm. to piss off my biggest client. And that's exactly what happened to Alex. Mm-hmm. He had one client who was the bulk of the sales. And that was another reason why his business was uh, valuable. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the lessons they teach you here is no one client should compro- comprise more than 15% of your total revenue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what mm-hmm. do you think about that lesson right there? I, I, <laughs> I like that lesson. It's, it's easier said than done. That's that's right. what I would say. I do. I I don't disagree with it. I I definitely don't disagree with it. But I I can see how small businesses and medium sized businesses can become so reliant on that one big fish client that it becomes a bit easy. It becomes a bit easy to just go that route instead of trying to diversify your options and offerings and your client base. Right. Um. Case in point, I remember. Oh, Dios, I need to. I remember Apple did something a while ago, a few years ago. It wasn't recent. I remember it was a few years ago. They changed how they were manufacturing an iPhone or something like that. And a few businesses went out of business because Apple was their biggest, you know, client. You know, granted, you know, granted, you, 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 you mess with Apple. You're like, I've hit it. I made it. Right. But uh, <laughs> it, it doesn't put you in a, in a good position a, a position of strength you don't have a lot of options another uh another uh example i i was working with this person directly uh it was a tweet in the early days of twitter it was a tweet aggregator this company their whole business model premise was uh aggregating tweets and being able to put it on your sites and, and customize the look and feel of the tweets if it was branded content something like that right and i know in the early days of twitter and, and facebook they would change every now and then they would change their uh, API integration or their standards on how you can integrate into their platform and stuff like that. And this company literally went up out of business overnight, literally just because the API changed. because Twitter changed their whole API. So all of their clients, I remember emailing them and I, he just was like, yeah, we're out of business now. It was like grand opening, grand closing. <laughs> it's like that. So, uh, wow. So we can assume that, uh, Twitter was, uh, over 15% of their oh, business. I mean, that was their whole business model. Their whole business model was based off, hey, you know, we can 
get you to look a certain way on your site, you know, with our Twitter feeds and branded content. And, you know, this is in the early days as well. So there was a lot of uh, optimism and opportunity if Twitter would have stayed the same, uh, you know, with their, with their technology. So I, I do agree with that. Uh, it's just, it, it can be hard, harder uh, than, harder in execution. That's all. Yeah. Right. And then our main character, Alex, he literally has to talk to his biggest client. Mm-hmm. Um, and we alluded it to, to earlier, I think, you know, um, that client actually had a family member who worked for the company. Right. Um, right. And was- they weren't necessarily a valuable employee. They were just their biggest clients, cousin or whatever it is. So they had to keep them on the books to keep yeah. everybody happy. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you're over leveraging your business on one individual decision or one individual uh, company's decisions and their whims. So it's just like a bad way to be built. Right. I also, uh, one thing I did like as far as the lessons as he was trying to, you know, really transition and become more specialized, uh, you know, he made that client mad. Like one of his clients wanted to give him more work and he was like, we don't do that anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, it, which can be so hard, you know, cause especially you're like, I don't know where the next client may come from on the next or the next project. Right. Um, and that was a big and, and bold move, but it, it, it spoke to the value factor. You, your, your clients and where the direction you're trying to go, you're not going to be able to get there if you're still going back to the old stuff that was holding you back, right? And you talked about, um, I think, I don't remember if we went over this lesson in detail, but repeatable, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what he did. He made his business, um, he stopped providing services to this 15 plus percent client. And he's like, we're no, you're going to be the last one we do this mm-hmm. for. And from right. now on, we're only providing this one product mm-hmm. uh, to, for the business. And, you know, we're sorry. We appreciate you. But we're only doing this product now. And, I mean, even though it was a fictional um, scenario, man, I felt the, the, the butterflies in the stomach <laughs> having that conversation with your main breadwinner. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's, 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 a, it's a strong thing to do. Mm-hmm. But Ted, our expert in this story, said you're going to end up, it's going to end up to your benefit. Right. And it it did eventually, eventually, but it's not, it's, it's, it's like hard to break out of, you know, we want to say, oh, habits die hard. And in this case, not necessarily a habit. It's just these, this is the culture of the business that that, that he had It's just, we got to get the next client and no matter what they want to do, no matter what type of design work, we're just going to do it. Even if we're not really the great, the best at it, you know? Right, and then I think that's, okay, so that's a great segue into the next, uh, one of the lessons that they gave, and it wasn't like an overall lesson, it was just kind of like a note, but don't have any generalists in your company. What did mm. you think about that? Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, um, I guess, I guess, I, I don't know if I totally, I, I get the lesson that they was trying to uh, tell, and the idea they was trying to communicate, which is, you want to you wanna be known for something. You want to be known for something specific and get that type of work. But I do think, I'll be quite honest, I don't, I don't even know what, how we, we identify generalists versus a, a specialist nowadays, right? Like the way the world is and, and depending on what industry you're in, the, the lines get very blurry. You can be a specialist. You, you, can, you can easily be a specialist and say, I only do this type of stuff, which is fine. Um, I, I don't know, uh, to be quite honest. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, I mean, in concept, the concept of it made a lot of sense to me, and I get it, especially mm-hmm. in the example of his business, right? He right. was a marketing uh, advertising firm with, like, six employees, right. and his main designer was really the his, his star employee. She mm-hmm. was doing all the hard work that, you know, when besides him, obviously, mm-hmm. she was the second, kind of the second most important person in that company, and everybody else under her, was just kind of treading water and getting it done, but they weren't, they weren't all stars, you know? Right. So, um, they were, they were role, they, I wouldn't even call them role players. They were just kind of, you know what I mean? They were just kind of there. And he got to the point where she was frustrated with the one client having ridiculous changes with no insight and they have no say in no pushback because Mm -hmm. they're their main source of revenue. So she got frustrated and she quit basically. And she's like, I'm finish up this project and I'm done. And I'm out. Uh, you know, let me let me revisit that. Uh, I get I, I agree in principle because I just had to think about my own personal experience. I don't really 
like to design logos, right? Um, you know, I'm more, you got anything digital related, online related, e-commerce business, you know, I, I, we can work together. But if people come to me for logo projects, I, I don't even consider it for the most part. I refer them, I either refer them or bring somebody on to the project that will focus specifically on logos. Can I design logos? Yes, but that's not my specialty. So in that context, yes, I, I, I totally get it. Um, I do think depending, it's really a, a, a gut call and, and, a, and a, a, a decision you have to make when you're in it and also defining is this a specialist or a generalist job in the first place, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I think, you know, also when you think about it, depending on what type of project, how do you identify, you know, where that line lays, where that where that line gets divided between super specialist, I mean, a generalist or a specialist, so, yeah. Yeah, and I think this book was written in maybe 2010, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, so it was mm -hmm. 10 years ago, so, like, the world has changed a little bit yeah. in yeah. terms of, like, you know, what depending on what industry and being a generalist, you might have to be by default just because of the nature of the business you're right, in. So, right. so I, in theory, yes, this makes a lot of sense. Create, mm -hmm. make your business, maybe make your business like specialized, of course, so that right. you can stand out and you're not just a you know one stop shop for everything. Right. But you're gonna have to have a little bit of generalist on your team, I think, for most industries, at least that I've uh, been experienced with. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that's a that's a fair a fair point, especially considering the time that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the actual selling of the business, like interacting with these potential buyers and and these shady characters that he was dealing with, right? Yeah, he had a couple. Um, there was a couple times where he was visibly frustrated <laughs> because he thought there was a deal on the table. Table. And um, they came back, the company that was interested. Well, let's get into specifics, actually. There was okay. one company he had a meeting with, and he blew it, right? Right, now, he did blow it. I love that they had that story. He just blew it completely because they asked him, why do you want to sell your business? And he gave the total wrong answer. Right, right. Um, it, it's not about you, right? basically. Right. It's, it's not about, he gave a very, <laughs> right. uh, his answer was very centered on himself. I want to do this. I'm trying to get out the game. I want a little, you know. Uh, they don't care about that. <laughs> right, and he went in with the best of intention. He's like, yeah. yo, I'm going to be honest with these people. Right. But it didn't work out for you in that <laughs> scenario, right? Don't lie to them, right. but you don't have to bare your soul to them either, I think. Right, yeah, yeah. You, you, it wasn't advocating any deceit or lying. It was just like, you just have to position, you have to position it in a way that makes you attractive to them because they're the one that's buying it, you know? They're not... They don't want. They're not buying your get out the game story, right? That's not. They have no incentive or any investment in you getting out the game. Like, right. what does that do for them? So, right. absolutely, you got to think about it from their perspective. Why would they buy your business? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so uh, he learned that lesson and went back and or oh, not went back, but he had another potential buyer, mm -hmm. um, and he told the, the right story and, and used the right kind of metrics um, to to sell it. So. Um, Tell me about some of those important things that when you're at that stage, that I'm going to sell my business. What are some of the things he did right the second time around? No, the second time he was more diligent on the forecasting and, and the numbers and just positioning himself and telling the story on, you know, how this business can survive without him. Uh, it really wasn't about him. It was like, hey, I have a good product. I have a product now. It's not a service anymore. I have a good product. This five-step logo design uh a process that's repeatable and I get these clients so you know he was definitely doing his diligence uh and presenting the story of the business as opposed to the story of him and why he wants to get out the business which started making him more attractive to people uh given the uh the forecast you know on how much he expects the business to earn in the next couple of years potential clients the market uh space for it and his market share so basically doing everything quote unquote the right way that make him you know easy to get scooped up by a potential buyer all right absolutely yeah mm -hmm. and then we saw he did everything the right way and then he got their interest they made him an offer and then they reneged on the offer a little bit right they yeah. did their due diligence 
diligence on the business, on the company, and they came back with a lower than the initial offer. And that's where he got really frustrated. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he it was almost ready to, ready to walk away um, just because they came back with a lower offer. So um, he became emotionally invested in that transaction versus remembering mm-hmm. What his goal was, which was to sell a business in the first place. So. Right. Yeah, he was ready to put his hands on him. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but let's talk about why they came back with the lower offer. So, I don't, I didn't consider it a low ball offer. Uh, it was just a lower offer than what was initially. Uh, it wasn't even an agreed upon. It was just like that, you know, a negotiation. Here's the first estimate number, right? Mm-hmm. It was, it's an estimate, uh, and. You know they have to hire their uh, their due diligence officers to look through the business, look through the reports that he provided, and you know find any discrepancies or find anything that would allow the buyers to possibly offer a lower number, which is what happened essentially. You know they got their people combing through the records. What about this? How can you confirm this? And you know how did you get this number about the audience? And you know after all that was said and done, they said okay, well. We have an offer, but it's a, it's a bit lower. Yeah, right. And so one of the this is what I'm going to do, and this is something I'm literally going to do that I took from the book is one of the lessons that Ted, the expert, told Alex, the business owner, was what's the number in your head that you want to sell this company for? Mm-hmm. Right now, where you are and where you're headed, you could have this company could be worth this much in five years mm-hmm. or this much in one year. So what's the number that you want to get out of it? And he had to write it down. Put it away and forget about it. And then uh, Ted had him bring back that piece of paper where he wrote it down at this very moment where he was frustrated and about to walk away from the deal. And it turns out that the deal he was offered was more than he, not much more, maybe 200K more. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think it was 5 million was his number. Right. And they gave him an offer that came down from like 6 million to 5.2. So, right. you know. It's all about perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And then having that perspective of what do you want to sell the business for? What's your ultimate goal? Instead of getting caught up in the feelings and the emotions of, oh, they came back with a lower offer than I expected. You know, it, it's just a smart thing to do. And just always keep your perspective on why you made all these steps to get where you are. So Right. I, I thought that was a, a great point and a great lesson is the perspective. Uh, you know, he had his, his number in mind, his goals. So when he went to the table, you know, he kind of forgot about that. And he got so caught up in the process. So, you know, but once he, he's like, oh, well, okay, this isn't far off. I actually do that a lot in a lot of my uh, negotiation and things like that, especially when we're early on, we're trying to figure out um, a budget number or for jobs that I've taken in the past. I already know my number. I already know my number in my head, right? So... For me, as long as once if I get my number, I'm usually I'm fine. I'm satisfied. I don't really like to you know get all emotionally invested because I'm like at the end of the day, if my number is met a little bit extra, fine, that's cool. As long as I don't get super low ball, then there's no reason for me to you know him and haw about it. That's that's usually my take and my perspective on it. So that now, do you have a personal method of getting to that number? Yeah. <laughs> I have a personal method. Uh, it, it one I've a long time ago. I've already decided we can go back into value, right? Valuable. How I charge for my services and 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 my and my product as well. My number is my number. I don't compete on price. You know, I I, I can't. I'm I don't. I'm not outsourcing my stuff. Everything is for me. So I compete on my experience and my. Uh, my expertise and my knowledge. I'm not gonna. Uh, I don't battle if because someone else is cheaper. Somebody else is cheaper, then I will always tell that person, and you need to go with the cheaper person. Um, now, if you come to me and say, "Well, my budget is this amount," and I say, "Well, okay, well for this amount, uh, this is what we can do." But if we're already we're we're already you know trying to figure this out and see if we're gonna work together, and you know I give you a quote and you try to come back at me. Like I'm not Best Buy, I'm not price matching, I'm not Walmart. So it's like, all right, well, I'm then you should go. And I don't really, I don't really haggle back and forth about that. Uh, if they say, oh well, I still want you, well then you should have had the budget and stop. Don't try to play these games from the beginning, right? <laughs> so Absolutely. that's that's how I usually uh, come to the table with things. And and this number that I've, you know, come up with, 
it, it's just come off of years of experience under doing research on the industry, pricing things, working with vendors. You know, I, I work with vendors a lot, knowing what they charge and you know how their operation is and how my operation is. So, you know, it's a it's a it's a ongoing process that changes throughout the years. But I have my number and I'm cool with and and I'm again I'm. I'm satisfied with it, uh, and which is I, I thought was a very I could relate heavily to that lesson in the story. Like, if you know your number, you're fine with it. As long as you're fine with it, then that's all of it. I don't need outside people saying, "Well, this amount," or "You should have did this," or "Shit." They're not doing it. I'm doing it, right? So, uh, right. if I'm happy with it, then fine. And in this case, he lost sight of what his original number was and was just so caught up in the process. Yeah. yeah, and that was a great lesson to learn is mm-hmm. that he, he in the in the selling of it, he mm-hmm. made two mistakes along the way. Mm-hmm. One was being so focused on himself. So I guess the same mistake twice when you think about <laughs> it, but being so focused on himself mm-hmm. when he was telling the the buyer the reason why he won't sell, and then being so focused on himself and getting his own feelings when he got a lower offer than he initially expected or than right. the initial uh, speculative offer was. So. Exactly, exactly. There was one uh, instance in the, in, in the buying process that I, I, I thought was funny was, uh, well, he thought he had, he thought he had a good, when he was trying to figure out the brokers that he wanted to work with, and he thought he had a good broker working on his behalf, and then he realized that the broker really doesn't make any money off him. The broker makes money off the guy he was going to sell the business to working on his behalf um, and he got he got pissed you know and I, I think that was really more of a lesson just be wary of who you're partner with when you're trying to sell your business right you have these agents you have these brokers who uh, can and will work on your behalf but you need to do a little due diligence to understand just how how are they getting paid? You know, what's their structure? Where's, where's, what's their incentive to even work with you on, 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 on your behalf? And he, you know, this guy, he was, a, he's a smooth talker, right? He's a smooth talker. But then when he met with hit the broker and the potential buyer, he realized they were golf buddies. They, they've hung out together. They, they do a lot of stuff together. So now he realized I'm just another, you know, I'm a little trinket as a good favor, you know, to maintain good, for my broker to maintain a good relationship with this guy and not really working in my best interest. Right. He was adding value to whatever his business model mm-hmm. or his personal brand was versus working towards whatever your goals are. So, right, yeah. right. So, yeah, I, I thought that was definitely a good, you know, do due diligence. Definitely need to do that due diligence, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. What else? Do you have uh, another key takeaway? Just random stuff that I uh, thought was interesting in the book. Um, they talked about having a sales team, and two two salespeople are better than one because mm-hmm. they they're competitive mm-hmm. people, and they'll always try to outdo each other. And so I thought that was an interesting little note in there. What you think of that? Well, so yes, uh, I sales is my weakest part of my offering. <laughs> right, I'm just I'm just not a good salesperson. I know that for a fact, and. I know that's my blind spot, and I personally have been working on that over the years. So I really liked when they started talking about recruiting the salespeople and how you look uh, to bring in salespeople. I do agree that two salespeople is better than one. I mean, it just adds it just adds for a, a, a nice balance. Not even not even from a perspective of competition, but just a balance. You don't want all your business to be reliant on one person, and I think they also. They, it spoke to the power dynamic of having two over one, right? Um, if you have one, then really, is your business really your business or is it that salesperson business, right? <laughs> like, if they decide to leave, they have all the contacts and it can take their business, you know, wherever they decide to go. And uh, working with salespeople, I, I, yeah, their contacts is, is how they get paid and how they make their living, right? Um, yeah. So you don't, you know, you don't want it to be dependent on one person, and especially if that person isn't even good. So, you know, steel sharpen steel, right? So get to and, and kind of see where the energy and the balance lies in between the two. But I definitely like that idea and, and agreed with it. Yeah. 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 For sure. um, another thing that I, I want to get your opinion on is they talked about, um, and this is really like a, a scenario now, and it's 
you have you've you've built your business right you've followed all the lessons and now your company is sellable mm-hmm. but what about all the people you're leaving behind right all mm-hmm. your employees that mm-hmm. you invested in and all that what happens to them right um yeah so that that i thought that was yeah another good point uh he was i didn't understand why he was so nervous about telling his employees he was trying to sell the business that i didn't you didn't i, I thought it was i thought it was a guilt trip right in, yeah. the, in this day and age of you know the sh- billionaire should be abolished and things of that nature um i feel like he thought they were just my perspective and even our uh previous interview with lisa price right, right. there's a little bit of guilt towards um oh you're cashing out on the business and you're leaving us here to work for this stranger like you're leaving us behind so i, I understood where he was coming from with the guilt but his expert ted kept having to remind him like who started this business? Who put in the work? Who, right. You know what I mean? So um, I understood where he was coming from so, for a degree. Let me say that. All right. I, I, they did explain the guilt. I still couldn't really connect with it because I felt like, well, and which which did happen eventually. My, my thinking was communicate this. That was my kind of my thinking. When he first started having the guilt, I'm like, what is he afraid of and what does he think is going to happen? If you... if. If you come to the table saying, or maybe it wasn't his intent, but like you said with Lisa Price, it was like, well, there's a concern. How is the how are the employees going to? What's what's their trajectory? What's their future going to like if I sell the business? For me, I felt like that. If you include that in part of your game plan and strategy, maybe make that a term within the company uh, that you sell it to and communicate it to your team. Uh, I felt like it wouldn't have been a need for a guilt trip. Maybe I'm oversimplifying that aspect. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it. I just felt like he was beating himself up for the wrong reasons, and it wasn't really needed. Um, yeah, I don't think you're oversimplifying it. I think that is an easy answer. But let's play devil's advocate for a second, right? Say you communicate it, and you got that one annoying employee that's still holding to their guns and like, oh, you're a sellout. You're 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 leaving us high and dry while you cash out. <laughs> um, they had a plan for that, right? They had a they had a plan for that, and it's something that I've never heard of before until I read this book. A long term incentive plan for your mm-hmm. key management, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. tell us about that because I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was I thought that was a good, good idea. So that also segues into how you also position your business to sell it, and in the act of positioning it to sell, you want to show that you are not the bottleneck, right? You need to show that okay, this business isn't just reliant exclusively on me so what you have to do is you know give insight into your management team you need to you know show why hey if i step away my management team is so competent they are on point where this business is going to do great without me so you need to start giving more insight into that which is going to make the buyers want to start meeting with the managers of the team and, and everything now to ensure that a mutiny or things don't happen you have these uh terms into the work uh employment terms like you said uh you set aside certain bonuses and payouts and cash out and options or however you want to structure it within your company that's contingent upon these people uh staying with the company for a certain amount of time even after you sell it as to ensure that it can still be uh profitable and and, uh uh for the foreseeable future right um yeah and going back to his guilt a little bit he was so guilty to the point where he was like well, what if i give my employees um equity <laughs> in the business that way right. they feel like you know they're a part of it and mm-hmm. then immediately ted was like you could do that but i wouldn't <laughs> recommend it it's like that is an option but he talked about the incentive bonus right. and he went into some really specific details it was like a one-third percentage bonus so mm-hmm. for every year you get a third of what your bonus is mm-hmm. so that it's i'm probably not explaining the math properly i'll let you kind of explain it better than me but it's basically you get a bonus and you only get a third of it but so that incentivizes you to stay for an extra two more years so mm-hmm. you get your full bonus yeah and that money keeps going up every year so it's kind of like it's almost like you're uh chasing a dog with a treat right it's yeah. like well you still got three more years here that you didn't cash out so right. why are you leaving you know so it was interesting yeah no i mean that's exactly what it was you know it's incentive based uh, staying uh uh contingent on how long you stay and the, the amount grows depending on you know how long you're there so the carrot like you said the doggy treat or what was the old cartoon with the 
the carrot in the front of the donkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, definitely. Now, um, there were there were two ways that how um, usually people sell their company, which I thought was interesting. The two main ways. Now, the way Alex sold his company was um, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know the exact term, but essentially they brought the company outright, right? So he got his money and the terms, and he was able to you know get out the game because he positioned his company in a, in a manner that showed that he it wasn't contingent on him. But then the other option, which is the least favorable and really not set up in the in the owner's favor, oh, the term is escaping me right now. But the the what essentially happens is they buy your company, but you still have to work with them uh, and work with the company for a certain amount of years, and you have to guarantee that you have to ensure that the business is meeting these hit these sales goals and profits and records and all of that stuff. So essentially, you sold your company, but you haven't you're not able to leave. You still have to stay with the company for a set amount of time and to make sure that these numbers are being hit and so forth. And if these numbers aren't being hit and, you know, sales isn't being, uh, you know, the sales and profits and revenue and all those other things aren't being hit, you don't get the agreed upon amount, which is not a favorable deal for you, right? Absolutely, yeah. It sounds, I don't know, I can't think of any scenario where that would be the better deal, right? Because mm-hmm. when you're still working for the business, you know, you've sold it. So it's almost like you're in limbo. You still mm-hmm. sold the business, but you're still doing all the work that you were trying to get away from for selling the business. Right, exactly. So uh, Alex's mentor advised him, you don't even want to consider that option, which is what led him on a path in the first place to uh, prop up and position and shape his business up in a way where it would just be outright uh, brought out right uh, with none of those uh, stipulations attached to it, you know? Right, right. Cool, cool. Yeah, uh, that w- yeah, I really enjoyed this book. I really did enjoy it. It was entertaining. It was. I got a lot of good gems. I feel like this book could be a movie. <laughs> I don't know. Like, maybe not like a blockbuster, but this could be a nice little business movie. You know, it, it, uh, you know I'm, I, I wouldn't disagree. The, 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 the way the story, and it's a, it's a fast read. It's a fast read. Um, uh, it, didn't, it wasn't long. It didn't take me long to get through. So, uh, uh, but I do agree about the movie part. It could be like a little, you know, there was enough characters and stories in here to definitely make for some type of a film version of this in some capacity. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, that was our book review uh, for Built to Sell. If you're, you know, a business owner and, you know, you're just starting or, you know, maybe you're not showing how you plan on exiting the business or you, you know you might not even consider that part yet but um if you are considering it or just trying to get some insight on what an exit strategy might look like after your business has reached a certain point you're looking for uh, a little guidance and got uh and direction on how to uh go about it we definitely recommend you read this book uh it's a lot of good information and it's also entertaining as well yeah 100 percent. i think even if you don't want to sell your business per se just mm-hmm. structuring your business and taking these lessons mm-hmm. to structure your business is going to help you just be a better business owner all right so that's a wrap on this week's episode if you have a question you would like us to answer on the show shoot us a message or voice note on any of our social media channels or shoot us an email at questions at businessgrindshow.com also if you like the show and information we're providing don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends see you again soon in the meantime keep grinding The Business Grind is for entertainment purposes. Opinions expressed are those solely of the host and guests. Please consult with a professional and exercise discretion before engaging in any business endeavors. I'm out here on the grind. I'm out here on the grind.